absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast pacers, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and we've got a little bit of a different episode today. This is our Fall Masters preview. Yep, I said it, Fall Masters. It's never happened before in our generation, in our lifetime, but we're going to have the Masters running the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th of November. So no more scheduling the opening of golf season in the Northeast like it normally did. Basically, it's going to be on the other end. It's going to be closing up the golf season for us. And there's been a lot of talk this entire golf season with everything that's been going on about why do we constitute a major a major? We're not playing the Open Championship this year. It's canceled. So if someone wins all three, are we calling that a Grand Slam? What are we doing with that? And where'd the term Grand Slam even originate from? So I'd like to take a little bit of a deep dive today into what makes the Fall Masters so different, so special. And by doing that, we need to start at the beginning. And we need to start with the Masters, and we need to start with Bobby Jones, Clifford Roberts, and all the money they put into it and how the club struggled in the beginning. Now, the second half of this podcast, you're going to hear Scott and I debate on a myriad of topics from what hole we think we could score the best on, uh, how play's going to go, the different colors you're going to see there in the fall as opposed to spring, what our menu would be if we won, things along those lines. But in this beginning, let me take you back a little bit. Let me take you back to when the club was founded. In the early years, it was called the Augusta National Invitational Tournament. That's what the Masters was known as. Little regarded event held at a very super private club, kind of in really desperate financial need and just struggling to survive. But that's not how the club was meant to be. The club's two founders, a wealthy New York investment banker, Clifford Roberts, and obviously the greatest amateur champion ever, Bobby Jones. They put this club together for the rich elite. Their hope was that they could court the USGA and get the U.S. Open there. But that would never come to pass. The USGA never wanted to go to Georgia in the middle of June when it was so hot. Roberts, Jones wanted to have two 18-hole courses. They thought they'd have 1,800 members. There would be home built on the site of Berkman's old nursery. But none of those things came to pass at all. There were major funding issues. Augusta had for decades been an enormous popular winter destination for these wealthy northerners, especially these wealthy northeasterners. Okay, your people from the New York metropolitan area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut came down, even Philadelphians headed down there to kind of escape what the rat race was of the city, and especially how difficult it was in the wintertime to play golf in and around those areas. And what better place to play down in the winter? Than Augusta, Georgia. So this had really become a Northerners retreat. So Augusta National, the Green Jackets themselves, they bought the land super cheap from a hotel chain. That hotel chain had purchased it from a plant nursery that closed in 1925. Now the plan overall was to construct this enormous hotel there with these other houses and, and, and basically make it like a resort destination. So picture a course down in Florida that has a ton of houses on the fairway, has you know a Ritz Carlton at it, uh, a spa, et cetera, et cetera. And that's exactly what Augusta National was striving for. Completely different than today's 
day and age Augusta National. Now, one of the problems is they ran out of money, and the club struggled to raise a ton of money to build both courses. So instead, they decided to build the one course. They defaulted in paying Alistair McKenzie, who died without getting paid for it, and this is obviously his most famous, most inspirational design in the U.S., so the USGA liked the course, but they, again, they were not prepared to host the U.S. Open in Georgia. The weather was just way too hot. Nobody wants to play uh, in that climate with that humidity, even though in today's day and age, you know, you go to Southern Hills and, and you go to some of these courses, Oakland Hills in the summertime for the PGA, and it is sweltering. But back then, when we didn't have performance fabrics, um, you know, we, we didn't know that much about nutrition and hydration, et cetera, et cetera, back in the 30s, it, it made it for a very sweltering time. Realize this was a time when guys were playing in tweed jackets and coats, and women are playing in long dresses. So not as cooling as the gear that they have today. Um, now, part of the problem was that rather than having the 1,800 members that Roberts and Jones thought they were going to get, they had a grand total of 76. The club also fell on some super hard times because of when it opened. It opened in December 1932, right in the middle of the Great Depression, in the aftermath of the 1929 stock market collapse. So not only are there fewer wealthy businessmen who lost a ton of money in the stock market, but fashions and ideas were starting to change at the point in time, and people saw Florida as this enormous alternative to heading down to Georgia or North Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. So at this point in time, in the mid to early 30s, that's when the Florida golf was really starting to explode. So the first ever inaugural Augusta National Invitational Tournament, as it was called, was held in 1934. Now, the club was so hard up for money that the city of Augusta, the council, gave the club $10,000, hoping the tournament would boost the city's profile, uh, bring more tourists, Kind of, kind of ramp up and prep up their declining tourist industry. So they estimated, this is Augusta National telling them now, they estimated that 20,000 people would come to watch the tournament, pumping almost a million dollars into the economy, the home of James Brown himself. Almost a million dollars they were going to pump in. And understand, a million dollars is a lot of money in today's terms, but imagine back in 1934. Well, the only problem is, in the end, a thousand people showed up. So they woefully underestimated how many people would actually show up to this first ever Augusta National Invitational Tournament. But prize money and Bobby Jones's name and pedigree really is what set the beginning portion of this tournament, this little private tournament, apart. Now, the winner of the first ever Masters, if you will, Horton Smith, got 1500 bucks. But in comparison that year... The winner of the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship only took home a thousand. So already people are starting to talk about, "Hey, look at this big money tournament that's going down." It's almost, if you want to put it in today's terms, kind of what the Players is doing. The Players has the biggest purse in all of golf, but we will not consider it a major, and people will fight over it. There's no fifth major, but back then, the majors were the U.S. Am, the U.S. Open, uh, the Open Championship, and the British Amateur. So things have changed, and a lot of people in today's generation just don't understand the history of where these majors came from. Now, Augusta did something that Augusta would never do today. And trust me, as part of the media, I can tell you how difficult it is to try to get inside those pearly green gates. The media was not only courted to go down there, 
But for many years, select journalists from different publications across America had their traveling expenses paid for by the club and encouraged them to report on the tournament. Now, it was such a small tournament that people didn't even want to go down and report on it, even though they were getting paid. Imagine that in today's society. Someone telling you, here's a full expense paid trip to Augusta National, and you just say, eh, I don't really feel like going. That's how it was back in the day. So newspaper reports would report on Augusta National, but really they were there for Bobby Jones. All right, and, and, and they were worried about how he was doing as opposed to who was leading the tournament at times. And it kept failing to attract spectators to Augusta. Every single year, the Augusta National, or sorry, Augusta Council kept giving Augusta National less and less. They handed over 7,500 the year after, then 5,000, finally 2,500. And that was to cover the water bill that twice Augusta National had defaulted on paying. So you are not talking about Augusta National of today's day and age. It's not even close to the multi, I would assume, billion dollar uh, investment company that is Augusta National, uh, not even to mention the liquid assets and wealth of all of its members. So the year after that, this is about 1936 or so, the uh, Council of Augusta, Georgia, kind of delayed a decision on funding the tournament. They didn't know if they wanted to do it or not. And it's the last time that public money was approved. There just wasn't enough return on investment for the Council of Augusta to continue on supporting Augusta National Invitational Tournament. So people stopped going. The club seemed to be shrinking. There was no public money, and they were really just in this enormous state of despair. Now, you juxtapose that with Augusta National of today, and they have to turn people away. And this was not the case back in 38. There was a local businessman, though, the name of Alvin M. McAuliffe. And he formed the Businessmen's Masters Tournament Association to sell tickets through local businesses. By the following year, this is going to 1940, the association had doubled ticket sales. Yet again, the locals of Augusta, Georgia, come to save this institution. And it's shown today in today's society with Augusta National and how, how closely they work with the school districts, uh, with all the local businesses. The entire town city, if you will, of Augusta, Georgia, completely shuts down during the Masters. And everyone that has a job in that city literally works for the Masters tournament. Schools have off during that week. And they actually have a two-week break because of the time spent before and after cleaning up the grounds. But for decades, 20 years plus, 25 years actually, uh, they didn't sell out. They had their first sellout in 1966. And this is kind of around the year where Arnold Palmer and Mark McCormick had coined the term major. So what has happened um, since then has been, as we all know it, in a traditional year, the Masters, now the PGA second, the U.S. Open, and then finally the Open Championship. But back in the day, it wasn't like that. So the term major what we know now to describe the biggest four events of the year stem from a conversation on an airplane between Arnold Palmer and journalist Bob Drum. This was 1960. They were traveling to Ireland for the Canada Cup and then on to St. Andrews for the Open Championship. Now, Bobby Jones' Grand Slam, excuse me, 
was a thing of complete history in all senses. No one was going to win the same Grand Slam that Bobby Jones did. Uh, so Palmer kind of speculated on what would make a new Grand Slam. What would be the modern day, the modern era of 1960s Grand Slam? And they had the Open Championship, and they had the U.S. Open. And Palmer was talking with Bob Drum, and he said, what about the Masters? And the USPGA is what it used to be called. We know now as the PGA Championship. And they kind of got that idea. They kind of started drumming up, pun intended, with Bob, the, the mindset of how do we kind of spread this out. And Drum liked that idea about having this quartet of tournaments, these four tournaments that kind of became golf's new Grand Slam. And Palmer's quoted as saying, one thing led to another. Drum got me all excited about it. He got the British press all excited about it. And everyone picked up on it at St. Andrews that year. So, mind you, Mark McCormick, Palmer's agent and, and partner in IMG, which they formed over a handshake in the beginning, was completely on board. And as the IMG marketing machine rolled on, Palmer had won the Masters and he won the U.S. Open that year. So, it was very beneficial for Palmer, for McCormick, for Drum, for IMG, for all of their business holdings to go out and proliferate this idea of these new four majors because Palmer had won two of them. So what better way to showcase your client than say he's halfway to the Grand Slam? And by the time they got to the Open Championship, well, everyone was kind of on board. And mind you, this was before the dawn of social media. This was really before the dawn of, of uh, golf being popularized in the public eye. So this had kind of a groundswell of participation and uh, support from golfers. And, and that's kind of how we got to have these four majors. And Augusta, obviously, with some of its high-profile winners over the years, that boosted it. And when you have bigger winners for tournaments, that shows that, hey, this is a better event, this is a better tournament. And Augusta's always very odd, kind of the odd man out in the four majors because the tournament venue never changes. The field is always super small, and they're one of the ones that always just lets their past champions play as long as they want, which a, a kind of fact can be made that Augusta is probably the easiest major to win, especially if you've played it a lot. Because Augusta National is not a difficult course to drive on. It is a second, so sh second shot course, excuse me. It is a course where you need to chip, where you need to putt very well. But if you know the undulations, if you know the course, if you happen to be a Tiger, if you happen to be a Phil, if you happen to be a Freddie Couples, guys that, that have played it over and over and over, multiple time winners, Jack Nicholas, uh, Gary Player, Arnold Palmer, you have this kind of innate sense of what goes on and the course and how the tournament is going to play out because it's very similar year after year. So Augusta National goes from this struggling tournament that can't even attract 100 members to what most of us today uh, would coin the best major out of all of them. And now I'm going to give you my own personal opinion, which is probably not one of the uh, most popular ones, but the Open Championship is my favorite. I love Augusta. I love everything about it. I love the secrecy. I love the privacy of it. But the Open Championship, to me, is so different living in the U.S. Um, and not playing on Lynx courses that there's just such an awesome vibe. 
I've been to Augusta. I've seen it. It is everything and more. And trust me, if you can get there, it is a place that you never want to leave. So Scott and I are going to talk a little bit about what holes we think we could conquer if we were at Augusta. And um, we're going to see how November 12th through the 15th plays out, God willing. Okay, hopefully all this is is done with COVID-19 and we can congregate again and be back on the golf course and see our beloved Augusta National Invitational Tournament take roots in mid-November. All right, Scato. So as previously mentioned, we're going to kind of dive into three holes at Augusta National and uh, just kind of debate on which ones we think we could score best on. So we've each picked one par three, one par four, and one par five that we think we could score best. Now, playing from the championship tees, I don't think we have a shot at making par. All right, but playing from the members' tees, your three holes that you picked, how many strokes over, under, or an even par do you think you're going to go? Hmm. My So I actually figured it out from the champions, the championship tees. Okay. Um, and I think think even from there i have a legit shot at making par on the three holes that i picked not obviously on all three um i would say most likely i'd go on those three holes from the championship keys i'd probably go like four or five over um but i have a legitimate chance at par on all three of them yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say three over just because of the putting, but maybe I get lucky and you know drain something or hit one close. So I'm gonna go two over on the ones uh, that I chose. All right, let's start on that. And that, by the way, that that makes sense. I feel like for the the way our matches tend to go. So right, right. All right, let's start with uh, with par three. You want to go first? Uh, I'll go first. So I'm I'm gonna go with uh, Rose uh, Redbud, hole 16, um, and you want to hear why? Of course I want to hear why. So does everybody else. So obviously you gotta you know you got to carry it over the water. Um, however, it's a really big green. Very big green. So, provided you can put it over the water, there's a good chance you're you're going to either be on the green or it'll roll off the back possibly because it slopes that way. Um, so I, I feel like it's a, it's an easier hole to hit the green on than certainly 12, which even though it's shorter is just a train wreck with the wind. So what, what, uh, what distance is 16 plane? So this is, it says 170. I'm on the, the master's website. So yeah, it says it's, it's 170. Gonna, um, they're yeah. gonna move tees around. It's gonna move a little bit here and there, but okay, 170. So what are you hitting into that long, into that you know north and south, uh, reaching green there? Very long north to south. Yeah. So I I definitely want to make sure that I'm putting it, uh, it over the water, and I'm going to sacrifice. Um, I'm going to hit it long, probably. I'm going to club up a little bit. I'm probably hitting four iron. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Which would be obviously a hybrid for me, but... Right, well, I mean, that that makes perfect sense. Um, I went the opposite, Scott. I went to your treacherous train wreck. I picked number 12, Golden Bell, playing at 155 yards, and here's my reasoning. 
I'm going to take the shortest hole. There's no way in hell that I'm not playing number 12. If you tell me that, mm. you know, let's say someone says, hey, you can only play three holes. That's kind of the way I did this. There's no way I'm not playing 12, right? Plus, my miss is always going to be a pole left. And there is just an infinite amount of room on the left side, especially at the hole if the pin is cut all the way to the right. So I don't mind missing long mm. and left because there's a chipping area back there. Obviously, you don't want a Jordan Spieth that and miss it front right. But that technically is usually not uh, my miss at all. So I like the green running east to west. Not really worried too much about that bunker. I'll take enough club uh, to get over it. So mm. at 155 with the wind, I'm taking it. And it does play a little bit downhill. There's a little bit downhill that goes into it, but I'm either going six iron or seven iron. And that again, like you said, is always going to depend on the wind. If the wind is coming up 11 and over the tee box on 12, then I'm hitting seven. If it's coming over 13 and into me over the tops of the trees there where it's swirling, then I'm definitely hitting six and making sure that I cover the bunker there. Um, what do you've got for your par four? Uh, my par four, I think, I think let me just double check. I want to confirm that this is the right hole. I so I was kind of torn on the par four, um, and again, not taking the shortest hole, um, which is hole three, which is only three fifty. Right, flower um, and pear. That's what I chose. So I'm going to tell you why I didn't pick that, and it's not going to apply to you. Okay. Um, I feel like that's a very narrow shoot. Um, the tee shot to get through. That a very narrow shoot to get through on the tee shot. And the way my shot shape goes, I feel like I would have some problems with the trees on the left-hand side. Now, I understand that, but I'm going to counter with this point. Even though it is narrow, there is an, there's the, the entire opposite fairway out to the right there. Correct. So Correct. you literally could blow it an entire fairway over. And for me, my miss obviously being to the left, as long as I get past that first shoot of trees, it opens up. Now, I don't have to worry about the bunker out there. The pros aren't mm -hmm. hitting driver because they can reach the bunker. They're hitting an iron that they can flight or they can move left to right, right to left. I don't need to worry about that. So I'm just pounding driver out there as far as I can, as hard as I can, knowing I can miss left, I can miss right. And then I've probably only got a wedge, maybe a nine iron in. That's about really... That's 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 my mindset is with it being the shortest hole, I can hit driver as hard as I want. Because look, like you can spray the ball at Augusta. I mean, mm -hmm. look no further than one of the greatest champions ever, Tiger Woods. Okay, the dude sprays it left and right, right and left nonstop. But it's about recovery there. Mm -hmm. So if I'm allowed to spray it a little bit and 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 really pound one, no, I'm only gonna have a wedge into my hands. Uh, on their greens, that's why I'm going with number three, Flowering Peach. Yeah, like I said, I was worried about the trees. Um, so I'm going with 14. This, this is going to be a very back nine heavy uh, three holes, just so and you're aware. 14 is very – you, you're right. There's nothing there. It's very straight away. It is very straight. Um, it is – I mean, there's trees down the left-hand side, but again, my miss is to the right, and there's nothing off to the right. So, I mean, there is a clump of trees, but right about where I'd probably hit the ball, it's completely clear. Yeah, so you can you can pound it with your ball flight, yes. and you're good. 
So, and it's a bunkerless green. Right. So. A tiny, a tiny bit elevated, correct? Uh, it looks like it. Looks like it is. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm going off of off of my memory because if you remember, yep. we ate pimento cheese sandwiches and peach ice cream in that grandstand. I will never forget. <laughs> so moving on to the par five, I'm going with Azalea, number thirteen, playing five hundred and ten yards. Not gonna mm-hmm. pretend that I'm getting there in two because I'm not. All right, but the hole is absolutely tailored to me. I could snap hook the F out of it. And all I'm doing is this. I'm aiming down at the cluster of trees on the right-hand side. If I hit a straight ball, great. I'm not going to reach him. If I draw the ball like I normally do a little bit, fantastic. I'm in a great position. I'm going to have an uneven lie. Okay, the ball's going to be above my feet because that fairway cantilevers from, you know, top to bottom, from right to left. And that's okay because I'm not going for it in two. But I'm going to lay up. And I'm going to give myself a 56-degree or a 60-degree wedge that I can really go after the pin. And I'm going to try to make par the old-fashioned way. Three shots in, two putts, and I walk off and I'll watch you hit your tee shot on number 14. Okay. Sounds good. Um, I, by the way, would then be – by the way, and I, and I do realize that I'm doing this, but my par 5 is 15. So I have basically yeah, yeah. played 14, 15, and 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so 15, same deal as 14, um, in terms of ball flight and tee shot that better fits mine. Uh, this again, no real trouble out to the right, nothing blocking me out from the left. Um, obviously you got to get it over the water to get it to the green, but again, you know, very doable. If you put yourself in the right position, I'm not going for it in two. So, you know, there's that. Um, and last year, uh, well, I'm just historically average. It is the um, easiest hole to score on. So there you go. How much would you pay to play Augusta National as a single? Realistic number, not including airfare down there, hotel, lodging, food, nothing, nothing. Just greens fees only, not including a caddy. You walking by yourself, how much would you pay? So I, I'm i walking by myself, no caddy? Correct. Yes, so, you don't have to pay a caddy. So whatever you tell me is is the outright fee that you pay at the gate, and they let you just walk on to the first tee. So I so I paid five hundred for Shadow Creek plus an additional hundred that went to the caddy. Uh, I would pay double that to play Augusta. Okay, so you'd pay twelve hundred. Correct. Would you pay twenty five hundred? Someone tells you the Masters is not going on right now, which it's not, and someone says for twenty five hundred dollars right now, get you on Augusta tomorrow. I'd have a very hard time saying no. I know. I, I don't I don't know what the number is, Scott. I don't know what that monetary number is that makes me flinch and say no. Five thousand, I probably say no. But three thousand? I'm I, I'm not telling mm-hmm. you I can't. I'm not telling you I won't. I'm telling you I might gotta think about it a little bit. But it's a it's a once in a lifetime. So if I pay three grand or I pay thirty five hundred to play Augusta out there by myself, 
right? Just just think about, you know, thirty five hundred might be the cost of two golf seasons for you. I don't know. I'm just throwing numbers out there for people. For some people, it might be the cost of a golf weekend, you know. But for let's say the average golfer, thirty five hundred bucks is probably what they spend in two golf seasons. Is playing Augusta and the memories that come with playing Augusta National worth two of your mundane golf seasons? I'm going to have to agree probably yes. So 3000 is what I would pay for my membership if I was doing it this year. Um, uh, I would sacrifice the membership for a year to play Augusta. So Okay. So now, yeah, so now I'm up to three. You're up to three. Okay. With that being said, up to three, we're kind of playing like a uh, Price is Right type thing here. How much would you pay to play nine holes that suit your eye and I play the other nine holes? So like we just talked, we didn't, we didn't cross over on our three holes at all because some holes fit me, some holes fit you. So how much would you pay if we sat down the night before at a hotel in Columbia, South Carolina, or Aiken, South Carolina, or even Augusta, mm-hmm. and, and they come to us and they say, Scott, you, you circle nine holes that you're going to play. Dan, you circle nine holes that you're going to play. How much would you pay for that? So are we? am I caddying for you while you're no. playing? No, no, am, no. Am no. I... we're, just, we're carrying our own bags. It's just if I play number 12, you cannot play that hole. That's fine. Are we, are we walking together? Of course. Then, then I would still pay three thousand. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think so too. I really, really think that three thousand is my limit. But however, Scott, it's almost like when you're a little kid and you say like, "I love you" times a million. Someone says, "That's cool, man." Like you know, or "I, I, I love you, mom" times a million and one. Well, I love you times a million and two. Would you do it for thirty five hundred, Scott? I'd probably say yes. Again, I'd have a really hard time saying no. I know it's so difficult. I don't know what the number five five grand, five grand might be it. Five grand, I think, is my tipping point. Whether it's playing solo, whether it's playing in a foursome, playing with you nine holes, whatever. I think five grand is it. Okay, I, and again, it's like what what it's prioritizing. It's like okay, well. That's two years of a membership for me. Do I really want that? Uh, maybe because, you know, I could play, you know, this course and that course and just shell out cash for it. But yeah, again, it, it would be a very hard if somebody said $5,000, we'll fly you down here tomorrow and you can play Augusta, but you only get to play nine holes, but you get to bring a friend who can play the other nine. Uh, I'd have a hard time being like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Same with me. Same with me. And look, that that's that could be a reality. If Augusta wanted to make some quick cash, they could. Because, Scott, we're going to November 12th through November 15th. Like I mentioned before, the Masters is now the Fall Masters. We called it. We've got the merch that's available on our bonfire page. Go to our Instagram link. You can click on it. Click on official merchandise. The Fall Masters shirt is there. And it's available in all fall colors. So here are a few things I want to go over with this tournament, buddy. You got 96 players this year, okay, in the 2020 field. Now, that's up from 87 last year. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've got an increase of nine players. We've got a decrease in daylight, all right? The average sunset in April is 755. 
The average sunset in November is 525. We're losing two and a half hours of daylight. How do you think they're going to combat that? Are we going to go split tees? Are we going to go groups of three like we had to in the in the final round last year? Hmm. So I could see them maybe doing threes and split tees in round one and two. I think that that is not their ideal for, at the very least, the final round. I think they like that they do the pairings and they, you know, and and that's the way it is. Um, however, to to combat what you're, you know, what you're saying with the the daylight issue, yeah, I mean, they they might be forced into a situation where they have to do that. It's going to be interesting. But they're going to go kicking and screaming to it. Oh, for sure. But the bottom line is Augusta, even though they control all the media and they can, you know, I know it's CBS, but let's be honest, they control CBS, even though they have a contract with them. Oh, that's that's all them. Right. So with that being said, it's going to be very interesting to see if they're going to want to have guys come back Friday morning to complete round one. I'm assuming no. The problem is you might say, well, you got two and a half hours less of daylight, but it's going to get lighter earlier in the morning and, and that's just not true there you're going to gain about 12 minutes so you might gain one tea time on the front end but you're literally you know two o'clock is the last tea time on the weekend at augusta okay right. in april so let's just say you sent a group out at two o'clock well guess what are two pros around augusta even though they're leading and playing well going to get done by 525 no way no way. So that means the last tee time needs to be before one o'clock to give them at least four and a half hours to finish. And and I just don't right. know. Can you squeeze in from seven fifteen to let's say twelve forty all the tee times you need? I'm not sure you can without going split tees. Let me ask you another question. Cause this is November. What CBS do about the NFL? Okay, well, here's, 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 you want to hear a crazy conundrum? Let me give you what's going on in the state of Georgia. November 14th, Saturday of Masters. You got University of Georgia versus Tennessee, and then you've got Notre Dame versus Georgia Tech. Okay, here's another thing that's going on. The NFL. The NFL hasn't set their schedule yet, but here's the biggest thing. The Masters... And the NFL both have CBS contracts. Who is the lead anchor, the lead voice on both the Masters and the CBS NFL programs? I, I mean, it's Jim Nance, but I feel like he, they, for that, he goes to the Masters. Well, I think so, too. I definitely think so, too. Okay? But that, it's just another wrench that's thrown in there. You know, it's another problem that they have to worry about. No, trust me. I do not think Jim Nance goes and calls, you know, a, a Cowboys jet. Well, that would be Fox anyway. Uh, a a right. Jets Bengals game. No, I do not think so. No, they're not sending Nance to that anyway. Um, here's another question that that could throw a weird monkey wrench into this. So you just said it was 96 players qualified. 96. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that I'm assuming they're keeping that 
the people who are qualified today are the people who are qualified for it in November, correct? Yes, it's completely frozen. Nobody can qualify. What? When this, whenever the, the, the tournament season regains traction and mm-hmm. starts to, you know, become to life again, you cannot qualify. Okay, so, so right well, now, here's an example. May 21st, the first tournament on the books right now, Charles Schwab at Colonial in Fort Worth. Is it going to happen? Probably not. But let's just say, let's say you win that. And you win the Rocket Mortgage the next week, and that pops you into the top 50 in the world. It will not change anything whatsoever. It is frozen in time right now. What if, and again, I, I know this the answer to this question probably, but what if someone like Victor Hovland ends up winning the FedEx Cup? He's not qualified right now. Right. He will not get in. I, it's, so, it's, and that's it's the thing. Like, things. you're you're going to end up with guys who are like, you know, hot potentially at the end of the season who don't make it because they're not in it. Correct. It's interesting that, you know, he could go through all that and and not still not play in the tournament. Okay. You want to hear something that's nuts? Let me throw this at you. August 6th PGA championship. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then we go playoffs, right? We go, we, well, we go Wyndham, which is the last event of the year before the playoffs start. Then we go Northern Trust. We go BMW. We go Tour Championship. Then we go U.S. Open. And then we have the Ryder Cup. You have the potential, Scott, of an individual winning the PGA, the Tour Championship, the U.S. Open, being on the Ryder Cup team and not being qualified for the Masters. Hmm. You have that. You have that potential. How crazy would it be would augusta national change up their rules on the fly if the same person who was not qualified for the masters wins the pga and the us open and and that's the thing like if you if you look at the list of people who are in you know most likely if anyone did that they're probably in already uh you know think about guys who could who have won multiple majors in a year um they're they're in already pretty much, you know, so then you'd be talking about someone who's uh, really probably a, a first time winner who's then potentially winning both of them and, and, uh, you know, FedEx cup and, uh, and being in the Ryder cup. It's crazy. It is because everything is so compact at the end of the year, those seven or eight tournaments and, and including the Ryder cup that, you know, look look at the playoffs. We we've had um, we're talking about playoffs now. We ah, we're talking about playoffs, Scott. Okay. We've had VJ win two events. Uh, we've had Camilo Vijegas mm-hmm. back in the day win two events. There was someone so, else that's. Some would say that he was spurred on by us. By the way, <laughs> possibly I would agree with that as well. Um, but you have guys that get hot. Bryson, thank you, Bryson was my other guy. I don't know how mm-hmm. I could forget him. But you have guys that win two three weeks in a row right when the pressure's on and the fields are smaller. So imagine somebody getting super hot at that point in time and not being able to win the quote-unquote Grand Slam. And do we have a Grand Slam this year? Is it the Grand Triangle because the Open Championship's canceled? There's so many questions that that are getting me pumped for the end of the year. I mean, it's 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 literally going to be like if you watch professional wrestling, you have like Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, right? And those shows are like semi-cool, but then the pay-per-views come. This is like nine pay-per-views in a row. Oh, yeah. That's how big the end of the season is. 
And there's a lot of talk too, Scott, about how the course is going to play in November. Let me just assuage people's fears. This is Augusta National we're talking about. This is the the private course that pioneered sub-air systems. This is the course that gets 40-degree temperatures and three inches of rain, and the next day the fairways are running at an 11 or a 12. So do not worry about course conditions. Um, you know, there's there's some climatic conditions that you probably got to worry about in playing in November. It's going to be a little bit colder, so you put a jacket on, you wear a winter cap. You're going to have different winds. Uh, usually in November they get a north wind there that on 8, 13, and 15, the par 5s is going to blow into the players. So that's going to make it more difficult to go for the green and two. So maybe scoring's a little bit lower. But does it matter? Zach Johnson laid up on every par 5 when he won. Right. You got the same chance of rain. We talked about the sunset problems, and and, and that's going to be an issue. Um, and let me give you... Uh, let me give you a little deep dive, Scott, on some research that I did. What's one of the outstanding factors of Augusta when you go there for the first time? What do you see that that just kind of pops out? Uh, are you talking about the azaleas? Yeah, I'm talking about the azaleas, the flora and the fauna of yeah. Augusta National. So the colors might be a little bit muted, um, but there is a plant called an encore azalea. And in my research, Scott, I have found that it blooms three times a year. Now, I cannot tell you if encore azaleas are the type of azaleas that Augusta National has, but there might be a few around the property. So they bloom three times a year, and one of the times they bloom is usually in the fall. So you might get a little bit of color. Um, dogwoods, magnolias. And wisteria will have already bloomed, so we won't get that. Uh, but camellias are still possible to be on the trees down there. And then what you're going to get is you're going to get peak leaf season in Georgia with what I found on the Weather Channel is usually mid-October to early mid-November. So we might get, instead of pink, purple, yellow, and greens, we might get a more muted green and then some orange, yellow, white colors down there with the occasional red thrown around. So it's gonna, I, I think it's going to make an incredible visual because we are so accustomed and so used to what we see every April. So I, I'm of the mindset that change is fine, change is good, and uh, I'm excited to see what it looks like at that time of the year. Um, I do think just because it's them, there's azalea sitting in a greenhouse somewhere that they will have prepared in full pink bloom. Um, maybe obviously not as much as normal, but I feel like there'll be some that are transplanted just for that purpose. Oh, I would not put it past them. Look, when money is but no issue... Mm -hmm. You can do anything like you can have anything occur when money is not an issue. It's like it's like and again, I've I've likened Augusta to Disney World where everything is just perfect all the time. Um, Disney World has a, a huge um, tree farm where they have a replacement for every tree on property. So if any tree goes down, there'll be a new tree there within a day or two. They just yeah. transplant it from one spot to another. There you go. There you go. I mean, it's it's the bottom line. Money makes things happen, and Augusta has more 
than enough money. Now, we talked about what we would pay, okay, and that number got exceedingly high the, you know, the more we went back and forth. Let's say, let's say they won't let you play, Scott, but they tell you that in the fall, we will allow you to plan the champion's dinner. Tiger doesn't want to do it, Scott. He's too busy preparing. It's going to well, be he cold. He's got to get his back warm. He had his own with his family already. Well, he did. He did. But, but Augusta comes to you, and they say to you, Scott, they say, we want you to plan your master's dinner for all the past champions. You're, you're head chef. You don't have to cook anything. You just got to give us the ideas. Um, I'm going to give you what I would do and give you a little time to think because I'm putting you on the spot here. So let me tell you what I would choose, Scotto. I would start with some appetizers. And I would go oysters. I would go rolls, some shrimp cocktail, a nice side salad. Okay, that's the beginning. We get all the past champions talking and everyone's mm-hmm. hanging out with each other. And then we sit down for the main course. So I would give them three choices. Okay, I'd give them mahi-mahi. I'd give them dry-aged Wagyu beef. Okay, a nice steak with some garlic butter. And then I'd serve shark as well, Scott. You know why? Because Greg Norman's not there. So I'll serve that. It's okay. He's not going to feel slighted. I'm going to go Yukon gold mashed potatoes and roasted asparagus for dessert. New York style cheesecake with cherries, but not New York style Italian cheesecake. That is disgusting. No, that's actual actual New York style cheesecake. That's my dinner. I mean, that's, that's, first of all, that sounds pretty good. I'd, I'd make a few changes, uh, starting with the appetizers. Uh, as you know, I'm allergic to shellfish. I know you are. I don't want you to die, Scott. So we're, we're not going to do that. Um, but I definitely like the idea of appetizers. Um, and I, I'm going to stick in the seafood um, vein there and go with uh, tuna uh, and salmon sushi, let's say. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, maybe a few other fish that are thrown in there. Just no shellfish, obviously. Right. Yeah, so don't I'm sli- your throat closing and uh, you nah, puff up and, and dying, you know, in the clubhouse. That's, that's a bad idea. Um, right. and, and then I would I'd throw in a salad. I'm a I'm a Caesar salad fan. Okay. Uh, however, in this case, uh, I would actually offer a choice of salad. I'm actually gonna um, steal from my buddy Patrick Reed here. Uh, I'm going to do either Caesar or a wedge salad, which I think he did um, last year. Caesar because he would stab you in the back? Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely, with with a knife that potentially um, was taken from someone else. Oh. Um, <laughs> not that I know. Uh, anyway, um, so I, I'd offer a little choice of salad. Um, I'm only going to offer two choices of entree. I do like the, the dry-aged Wagyu beef. Uh, I'm going to stick to that maybe and make it a, a filet so okay yep pick my pick my cut um and then the other option would be salmon because uh, i love salmon so that's my my entree i would go with the yukon gold mashed potatoes um or i would uh do just like a roasted potato kind of thing i'm fine either way uh so I like the the Yukon Gold. That's actually what we we serve here in the house. Correct. I love it. My favorite. Uh, I am I like asparagus, but I would switch that out with Brussels sprouts. Oh, I would I would knock those off my plate. Okay. 
Yeah, um, I, would, I would plop them on the ground and hit them with my wedge. Gotcha. Uh, but those would have to be sautéed in uh, like butter with a little bit of bacon. Okay, I might eat one or two of them if you do that. Uh, I think you'd like them more than you think. Okay, well, I know I hate them, so... <laughs> I would, <laughs> Fair I would, enough. I would, I would sneak out and try to get a different vegetable. We you could pick out like, some though. of the bacon for you. Okay, I'll take some of that. Um, you you could order a like. vegetable off the, the club menu. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a la carte. It would go to my, my room. <laughs> uh, and then end up charging me like uh, 80 bucks for uh, two pieces of broccoli. So, yeah, exactly. So then I, the dessert, I'm not a huge dessert guy to begin with. Um, but being from New York, I like the idea of having something that is, you know, representative of where I come from. Right. Uh, so cheesecake is a good option. However, where I live, um, this is it's New York apple country. So I would probably serve uh, New York apple pie. Okay. Ice cream. Classic no apple ice pie cream? with just apples from New York. A la mode if you want. Okay, well I do. I do. So I'm so if I'm coming, I'm definitely getting that. I like the idea that you're having a few options. I did the same because I can't stand when the players just make one entree and that's it and expect everyone else to like it. Right. And again, you know, they do have the club menu as an option. Um but you kind of feel like you want to at least honor the champion by eating what they what they selected. Oh, of course, of course. Um, let's let's kind of wrap it up a little bit. I want to. Uh, what's your favorite piece of Masters memorabilia that you have? Oh, I, I mean, I still and I, I wore it the whole the whole round. We were there walking around. Um, it's actually it stays here in the the podcast studio. Um, but it's that that Masters trucker hat that I have. For whatever reason, it fits my head perfectly. Uh, it's still that classic, just green look with the the Masters logo, and yeah, it's that's probably my favorite my favorite article of anything that I've gotten from a golf tournament. It is it's a it's very cool. I know it. I'm actually going to put a, a picture up on Instagram later of you wearing it. I'm um, looking around the podcast studio here in Pennsylvania. We survived all the winds that that just ripped through, which were nuts. Um, and I've got some of the green classic Masters hat. I've got a navy blue one that's very understated. It just says the Masters Augusta National Golf Club. But mm-hmm. my favorite Ma- Masters memorabilia piece is my little Masters teddy bear. Mm, we have one of those, too. I think we talked about this. Its name is Barry yeah. Player. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's got the date on the bottom, 2013 when we went, his Masters in the one foot. He's got the little navy blue cap, almost like the one hat that I bought. Um, yeah, I love it. If I went back, you know what's funny, Scott? I think about how much I spent there, and I probably mm-hmm. spent like three, 350 bucks, and I feel like I got nothing. Like, I know I got the boys a lot of stuff. Like, they have Masters flags in their rooms and, and shirts, which don't fit them anymore, which are hanging up in the garage now, but I feel like I really got nothing for that much. Uh, next time we go, easily dropping a grand, easily. Mm. Like I'm not even playing. Well, I I'm mean, walking in like Daddy Warbucks and throwing money in the air. Yeah, I mean, because that like the things that I would want right now are, are higher ticket items than what I bought. Like I <laughs> right. would, I would de- like I, I don't know why I didn't, 
but like I would definitely buy like a polo now and a quarter zip. Um, there's things that I've seen that um, that they didn't have when we were there that I would really, really want now. Um, I definitely want a piece of like artwork if I, you know. Yeah, I want was, a wooden It was sign. cheap enough, but yeah. Yeah, well, you know what I think it was is, you know, look at it this way. It was seven years ago now, right? We're obviously in a different place than we were back then. And I, I think like when we look at a $150 quarter zip, we say like, why would I buy that when I can buy three t-shirts and a hat? And yeah. then you realize, you know, you realize a year or two later, like, you know what? I would still have that quarter zip and it would still look good. And how many times am I going to wear that hat? You know, I think you just being in a different mindset, a different place uh, leads you to different buying decisions. Right. Uh, and the other thing, and this is, it's sort of, it's a souvenir, but it's definitely not something I picked up from the merch tent. Um, my absolute favorite thing that I got from Augusta is the, the, cups that the drinks come in in the the food and beverage tents or food and beverage uh, locations now because those cu I, I have a master's cup that i use every morning to fill up my coffee maker yeah now you know what now that i think about it, i've got probably eight of those plastic ones left but then i've got I, I do have a whole set of four Tervis tumblers i've got two mm -hmm. of the small ones and two of the big ones so right there like those are 20 bucks a pop I've got 80 bucks in, in glasses. It, well, not even glass, it's plastic. Right. You know, I'm drinking one right now. I'm drinking an Arnold Palmer out of my Masters one literally right now. And I wish I could break it open and take that Masters um, patch that's inside. The patch. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, right. that's my every, every year. I, uh, you know, I'll sit and I'll watch the part three with Arnold Palmer in one of those cups. Speaking of Arnold Palmer, um, if you subscribe to PGA Tour Live, NBC Sports Gold, whatever you would like to call it, they're running old episodes of Shell's Wonderful World of Golf, and they are beyond hilarious, beyond awesome if you want to learn a little history of the game. And I just actually watched Arnold Palmer and Julius Burroughs, which is hilarious mm. because they they announced Arnold from Lingalier, Pennsylvania, and Julius Burroughs from playing out of, I think— I believe it was Southern Pines or Mid Pines at North Carolina he played out of, and then they announced Arnold playing out of, um, uh, gosh, I can't remember the club they named him playing out of, but, but you know, out there in Western PA. And it's just so funny how pros used to be back in the day. Like, being a touring pro wasn't super glamorous. It's the reason why Arnold endorsed, like, 80 different products, because he just made bank off of that. Um, all right, so to wrap up this Masters fall preview, or... Um, kind of want to give people that have tickets if they're worried about that whatsoever if you do have tickets and you were lucky enough to win them in the lottery then they're still good for november you can get a refund okay but you can only get a refund if you bought them from augusta national if you bought them secondhand and you can't go then you're you know sol however if you have tickets and you're looking to get a refund or, or, or you can't, you're looking to sell them, you need to contact Scott and I through Instagram. It's at leave the pin. Uh, we will gladly take them off your hands uh, any day. I can make it any day. That's fine. Um, the tickets are not good for 2021. There was a lot of talk about that in the beginning, that if I had tickets this year and it was canceled, would they be good for 2021? The answer to that was yes. However, 
with it being postponed through November 12th through the 15th for tournament proper. You must use the tickets this year. But like I said, if you can't, Scott and I will find a way to get them off your hands for you. I just looked because I was curious if maybe ticket prices had dropped on like StubHub or something like that. And they're still, they're still just sky high. And the only, if you want a a weekend badge, it's still $4,000. Yeah. Well, I would pay that much to play it, but I would not pay that much to go there. Yeah. I mean, you could, they have a weekend, a Saturday, Sunday badge here for, from $4,000 where you get a Saturday ticket and a Sunday ticket and it would cost you about three. So I don't understand well, why they wouldn't, you know, the people who are doing that price it accordingly, but whatever. Hey, if you want to support the podcast and uh, you would like to send tickets our way, um, please feel free to DM, email, leave the pin at gmail.com. Uh, DM us at leave the pin on Instagram and, and we will help you support us. Simple as that. Scott, anything else for the good of the order? Uh, no, I think we're good. All right, people, either get busy golfing or get busy dying. So long. Thank you.